0: Well, good morning, and welcome on this beautiful Sunday morning, amen? And uh, in parts where I came from before here, this would have been snow, so uh, this is a whole lot easier to push around. But uh, at the same point, I'm glad that you've slid in here this morning and looking forward to spending some time together with you as we worship together, as we celebrate what the Lord is doing. And glad that you're here with us today. As we think about some things that are up and coming, just a quick reminder that this evening there are no evening activities here. And a lot of our... Uh, church family are doing some things in different small groups, different activities, different ones uh, getting together this evening. And uh, so uh, make sure that uh, you recognize that. No Awanas, no Bible studies, uh, nothing happening here in the facility tonight, but uh, there are some other events happening. And that's for the youth as well, different ones. And uh, so make sure that you check the bulletin uh, for some of those that are already scheduled and planned. Uh, There are some other details in there that I'm going to make sure that you are privy to. Make sure that you have one of these. There's a lot of information, and uh, so make sure that uh, you read through that uh, as you go through uh, the days ahead and uh, make sure that you're aware of the different scheduled things going on. Uh, Several giving projects that uh, we have established, and I hope that uh, you'll take a moment just to uh, pray about that. If you're able to give in extra ways, Uh, this is above and beyond what we give uh, to help us as a church do what we do as our mission. But uh, these are some special giving projects, and uh, they're listed there. And uh, hopefully, uh, if you can, if you're able to, uh, give towards those opportunities. Uh, in that insert, uh, or on that insert, excuse me, are, uh, again, lots of different things. But, again, the, the Academy Prayer Cards, we, we have those back in the year And uh, if this is something that uh, you uh, don't really understand, what what is this all about? This is something that we did back in August... Uh, we introduced our teachers we had a fellowship time together with them uh, ice cream social and uh, this is uh, a way for us to just re-engage with praying for those who are leading within our academy and uh, so you perhaps were there and you maybe picked up a few Uh, this is a way for you to then expand that maybe get a few more and uh, pray for them through the rest of the school year and uh, thinking about them as the lord allows them to challenge the hearts and lives of our young people so that is a way for you to get connected and and uh, to also uh, have an earnest part in uh, the ministry of our academy. So appreciate your prayers for that. And others that are here as well, and uh, hopefully that, uh, you know, you can take part in some of these activities. I want to mention today that we're praying for Melissa Baccarella, and uh, she was here for our mission emphasis back in October, and she's back in Italy. And uh, so really appreciate your prayers for her. And uh, pray for her ministry there in Kisele and uh, uh, what the Lord is doing in that work. And uh, so remember these others. There are some others that are mentioned up in the prayer request, at least one of our other missionaries. And uh, because of where they are located, I'm not going to mention their name, but we refer to them as M and S. And uh, so remember them if you would. And uh, especially for her, as uh, she is undergoing chemotherapy, she is struggling with cancer and uh, so we just want to remember them at this time and uh, they are serving in a region where uh, things have started happening in some of the recent news uh, events and some of the uh, issues that are going on in the world so just ask that you be in prayer for them if you would please well there's a verse that uh, we are focusing on as uh, we've been looking at this study in john that we're doing come and see and uh, this verse is one that really sets the tone for much of what the rest of this book is going to be about. And uh, so taking some time to really ponder and to think about what this means and our, our understanding of it personally, I hope that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that you know him to be your savior. And if anything, I never want to be remiss in is uh, being a pastor of a church that clearly explains the gospel. And I hope that uh, we are really not, in a sense, turned off by that, but at the same time, appreciative of what the gospel does and if you would let's stand together as a church and uh, we're going to begin our time of worship here as Fred and the team will be coming to lead us in song but beginning with this verse as a way of just calling our attention to him and uh, being challenged by this thought of what we have as a mission even for ourselves and so John 1 together but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name Let's go to the Lord at this time, and let's dedicate our time together in worship and uh, having opportunity to express these truths, but also to share in the glory that is of God. Father, we're grateful for this morning. and Lord, we we know that there are many in our midst that carry into this room hearts that are heavy for loved ones, for uh, different uh, needs and challenges and the different opportunities that life has given to them to really test and see whether or not you are a God that can be trusted, a God that is tr- genuinely loving and kind and gracious. And Lord, we're grateful that as your word declares it, and Lord, as we have opportunity to allow our hearts to see it and to behold it, Lord, we're grateful for your ever, ever-present reality in our existence. And so, Lord, we are mindful of our need this morning. We come before you in a heart that is open, desiring for you to fill it, to expand our understanding of you, to draw our attention to you as God, as our Savior, as our friend, and, Lord, as Jesus Christ is declared even as our brother. And, Lord, I thank you for making us your children, those of us that know you as our Savior, grateful for the relationship that we have in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would comfort our hearts and strengthen us for the days ahead, that you would, in this moment, just allow us to rest and to find what we need and to really be strengthened for the journey ahead. Lord, we think of the blushes, we think of the Gilmores, we think of Renee Haston. Uh, Lord, uh, even the Pimentels with Diana's upcoming procedure. Uh, Lord, others in our church that are going through physical challenges and and ones like Judy and Mike Reese and others, Lord, who uh, just have these lingering and ongoing struggles. I pray that you'll bless them with comfort. Lord, we pray for those that are serving and on the behalf of our ministry here, men and women that are sent out from grace and those that we support regularly, grateful for the work that they are doing. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that stands with our missionaries in prayer and in support. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time here this morning. And may you be honored and glorified in everything that we do here. And may you truly receive the glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor Adam. It's uh, awesome to be a part of our worship uh, with this team this morning. And the scripture encourages us to rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, I would just like for us to rejoice uh, together in song this morning as we worship our great God. Rejoice, the Lord is King.
2: you Lord, in the home.
1: And stand strong, knowing that you are the cornerstone. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We love you today. Lord, thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a joy to have the choir sing this morning, and we'll continue in worship as we sing what a beautiful name.
2: Bye. <laughs>
0: church, for the songs this morning. I appreciate our participation in that, and what a joy it is to sing together. There's something about watching our faces, and uh, don't get that opportunity every once in a while standing in the choir looking out. Now you're going to really feel on spectacle now, but uh, at the same point, it's a joy to be able to see what God is doing in your lives, and, and to witness the expression of that, and the ways that the Lord moves us through singing and challenges our heart. John chapter 1 with me this morning, if you would, please, as we go back into the series that we're calling Come and See. As we think about what John is doing here in this gospel, is he is asking his readers to come along with him, and we're going to get to a place where, again, this phrase will come up, and it's something that is a, a beholding, it's a, a looking into, it's a place where John calls his readers to come, get into closeness and proximity and see this one, And there are some things that I want you to understand about him. As we've come into this first section and looking at these verses that John has written for us and these first 18 verses where we spent some time in this, what we call the prologue, there are now aspects of this that are going to start to flesh themselves out to be realized in the rest of this book. And there are components that he begins with. And I want to start now in verse 19 and read down through verse 34 and talking this morning about the voice. This becomes now the, the place where everything is going to start enunciating and declaring on the, on the scene that people could see. This is more than what's happening behind the scenes. This is now where John starts to take us and he begins to pull back the curtains and to reveal this person called the Word. And he says in verse 19, this is the testimony of John. We were found in these verses up prior to this, in verses like 6 and 7, and really, and then later on in verse 15 and so forth, we found that there is this one who comes as a witness, and his name is John. And now this is where we find this testimony. If we wonder, well, what is this testimony? What is it that John has to say? What is it that he is sharing? Well, John the writer doesn't leave us guessing. He says, this is the testimony of John When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. And what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of the heaven. And he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Lord, I pray that as we take time to open your word now, that our hearts will be as open. And Lord, for that heart that's here that is cold and indifferent, I pray that something said this morning would peel back that veneer, pull back that hardened, encased heart, and allow the truth of who you are to penetrate into their existence. And Lord, whether we sit here as already found believers, or as we come in here, perhaps there are some that says, I... I don't know if I am a child of God. I don't know if I am truly a Christian. I don't know that I am what this person could make me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Challenge us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. The name Carl Bernstein or Bob Woodward, do those ring any bells? Or perhaps a fellow by the name of Mark Felt. Or here's one, Richard Nixon. I hope you've heard that name before somewhere along the way. All right. Mark Felt broke a 30-year silence in June of 2005 when he confirmed that he had indeed been the, the one known as Deep Throat during the 1972 scandal surrounding Nixon's presidency known as Watergate. How many of you remember that? Let me see your hands. All right, good. I don't. Sorry. I'm still outside of some of these historical events. All right. But Mark Felt was that unknown source to those two reporters, Woodward and Bernstein, who would give indications, he would give reports, he would give information that led to this uncovering of this massive government cover-up that uh, Nixon had been accused of and was trying to deny and, and so forth. And today we come to another voice. And this voice is the voice of one that came crying out of the wilderness. And in some ways, John, just like the the deep throat of the 1972, this one we see referred to as John the Baptist in other places of Scripture is the one that blew the lid off of what we would understand as the global cover-up. Sin. Sin. Darkness, rebellion, and all that's been hiding and blinding the eyes of our our world from seeing the truth about their God and their creator, John comes ready to blow the lid off of that. And like felt, John's identity and his role in the conspiracy is widely sought after. We have already had his significance alluded to in that 18-verse-long paralogue that we've talked about prior to this, and John really is more of a witness to the author of John than some of the way the other writers would refer to him as John the Baptizer, John the Immerser, John the Baptist. He sees the significance of his witness, the testimony that John comes with about this one, and then seeing the importance of the introduction of Jesus to the world. And up until this point, we've only heard of him being referred to as the Word And so John begins to introduce him, and really until you get down to really the end of this section that we read, where the first time we even hear of his human-given name, his name as Jesus, what does the author share about John the witness? What I want to do this morning is just look at two thoughts that are found in these verses The first one is going to be the heart of it. The second one will be a little bit of a a sense of a capstone to everything that then we will build on as we keep moving in this, this chapter. But notice with me a couple of thoughts about this as we unpack again some of the things that come out of the prologue and notice the voice that God sends by the name of John. The first point that I want you to notice in this is found in these verses 19 through 28 where it talks about John as a witness of himself. And he's talking about his own situation, his own participation in this event known as the introduction of Jesus to the world. In verse 19, this is the testimony of John. We have some Jews that are sent to him, priests and Levites. If you go to verse 24, you find that there are also these groups known as the Pharisees that come. And and these are the ones who come and they have a question they want to ask of him. Who are you? As you read through this chapter, what's interesting is that there are several questions that you'll see mentioned throughout the first chapter. And this is that leading question. John, who are you? That's an interesting question, wouldn't you say? If someone were to come up to you and say, Scott, stop, who are you? What do you mean by the question? What's the basis of quandary? What what do you want to know? And in some ways, that's sort of how John is approached. John, who are you? So, why? And so this leads the inquisitors to start pressing John for some answers. And what you're going to understand is that underneath this idea of being a witness, really at the heart of this, this is a testimony of resemblance. You'll notice what he says here. In John, the writer, writes about this event. And immediately, verse 20, John heads them off and says, No, hey, hold on. Let's make one thing clear. I am not Christ. Now, sometimes we fail to understand the why behind such questions. But in the days of John the Witness and Jesus, and when they lived, there was a high degree of scrutiny surrounding everyday lives of this region known as Judea. Rome was the political conqueror, Rome was in charge. They frowned on anything that looked like insurrection. And by this time, Rome had pretty much occupied most of what would be considered the civilized world, known world of their day. Rome was the major bully on the playground. This is their territory now. And so in this sense then, if anything was to look like an insurrection, large gatherings of people, it became something to be very aware of. So John was drawing large crowds. And so there was some legitimate concern about drawing attention from the authorities and possibly bringing the hammer down. And by the way, this all did happen in AD 70 when Rome got tired of the Jerusalem mindset and went in and destroyed everything. And that was basically just 40 years after this reading that we're talking about this morning. The other issue that John is being pressed on ties to the occupation and that had to do with the deliverer. Would the Messiah come this time and deliver the nation from the oppressors? And so John is out in the region on the other side of Jordan in what would be modern day the country of Jordan. And he is preaching, he's gathering a crowd that gets the attention of several religious groups and you'll see here three groups that are named there is the priests and the levites that are mentioned here in verses 19 and and uh, they're they're part of the conversation really is part of that down to verse 23 and then verse 24 we're introduced to the pharisees who are mentioned these are not the same groups perhaps they travel together perhaps they're just there as as a matter of coincidence But we find that there is this group of people. So you get into the priests and the Levites, and and these were two groups from the tribe of Levi, and understanding that they have a responsibility. The priests were the descendants of Aaron, the Levites, the descendants who is the brother, excuse me, Aaron, the brother of Moses, and Moses and Aaron are both descendants of the tribe of Levi. And so that family group is designated by God to be responsible for everything religious, Everything about temple and tabernacle and all the ceremonies and all of the ceremonies and all the things that drew the people's attention as a people, the Levites were the people who were responsible to get all of the people's attention to God. There were, in some ways, kind of a very loose connection. Some of to like us as pastors, trying to just keep the principles of God's word in front of the people. Now, they were having this as a part of their responsibility. We go out, we see this guy. He is preaching a message, and he is drawing people, and he's doing things that appear very religious. John, who are you? Now, the other group were the Pharisees. And this is a, a sect of teachers and they saw themselves as the protectors of the law of God. Some would say that perhaps they were part of the sect of the Essenes, which would be a group that was also in Qumran and other things, the Dead Sea Scrolls and things. Some see them as maybe an, an offshoot, a sect out of that group. Which it's, we don't really know. But the idea is that the Pharisees have been around since the time of the Maccabean Revolt and the rulers of, all the way back into 3rd century B.C., And some see them even as possibly as far back as in the days of Ezra in the 5th century B.C. All of this tied to an exile experience tied to a time where people were coming out of exile and establishing their identity back in the land. And there's this question as to what will hold our hearts accountable so that we don't go back into exile, that we don't go back into God's judgment. And so they became enamored with, let's hold our hearts accountable to what God has given to us. And over time, we get to the time of Jesus's day and they weren't really viewed too favorably by Christ. And it's not for all the reasons that we oftentimes want to press upon them. Some scholars see the visit by the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees as a, a foreshadowing of things to come when this same group would be jeering Christ at the foot of his cross. If you are the Christ then come down and save yourself, who are you? How many times was Jesus giving instruction? How many times did he heal on a Sabbath day? And the question would come, by whose authority do you do these things? And in some ways, we get that as an introduction right here at the very beginning. There were several that did follow Christ, even of the priests and the Levites. You find that in the book of Acts. There were those of even the Pharisees and even John's gospel will find us in chapter 3 having a conversation with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. We also know that there is another one who will be at the cross taking his body down. And so we understand that not all of these individuals had a hardened heart against what would be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. But right here at the beginning, when Jesus is being introduced to the world, there's a real question. John, you're testifying of some things. Who? Are you? Who are you, John? John immediately allays the leading desire to know if he is in fact the Christ, and he emphatically states no. And then there's the next question. Well, then are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. So who are you? And we have to give an answer to those who have sent us. And John quotes for them from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, where he says, I am a voice. This is not just a testimony of resemblance, but it is also a testimony of preparation. As he says, this is the witness of myself. As I tell you who I am, what I'm telling you is, is that you may want to compare me to things that convict your heart, things that we know that the time is going to reveal, this the sense of the end of all these things that were going to happen. There would come like one, like Elijah, that there would be a voice who would cry out of the wilderness. There is one who declares the coming of the Messiah. And that's me. I am that voice preparing the way. And what is he preparing? The passage that John chose to quote at this moment was not an obscure passage to the hearts and minds of these that are asking. Isaiah is truly one of the greatest of the prophets among the people of Israel. And most likely, John even is using their question about him being the prophet to prompt this in a way to introduce them to this introduction of his ministry. The interesting thing about Isaiah chapter 40 is that it is the natural break inside of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 through 39, they speak of how God is a trustworthy God. That no matter the threats from the other nations, that God will care for his people. Those other nations will fail. But what does the nation of Israel do? They still turn to these other nations as if they could deliver them from their their own oppressors. But God would not forsake his own. Isaiah chapter 9, we've spent some time even looking at that in the Christmas season. And unto us, a child will be born. In his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And what will we also know him as? The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace a throne without end, a dominion that will not have an end. And so then you come to chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, and especially through chapter, uh, verses, chapter 40 through 48, the message turns to hope and to deliverance. Oswald, in his commentary, he says it this way. He says, in the entire chapter, the central focus is on God. God's trustworthiness does not end at the point of disobedience. The other neat thing about Isaiah 40 is that most of the first portion from verses 1 through 11, the prominent element is speech. And again, as Oswald com- comments on that, he says, this good news must be spoken, announced, and proclaimed. It is like the author, John, here in John chapter 1, takes us from announcing the existence of the word and then is telling us about his voice. He takes us to a person who will come and declare. And so John, the witness, comes as one crying, declaring very loudly, like a herald with a message from the king, prepare the road for the coming king. I need you to go out, fill in the potholes. I need you to go out, remove the debris, fix the walls, straighten the path. Make it so that the majesty and the glory of the king is not halted, is not stunted, is able to pass through. Prepare your way for the coming of your king. But then we come back to John chapter one. And we find that the Pharisees just can't leave this alone. So who are you, John? The priests and Levites ask. And the Pharisees then ask another question. So why are you baptizing? Well, don't you know this is where the Baptist denomination started? Uh, no, it did not, okay? I'm just, just, that's a bad joke. Verse 24, all right, now they've been sent from the Pharisees, and they're asking him, verse 25, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet. Why are you doing these things? These are are things that resemble something that is significant to our religious order, our religious identity, our, our understanding of our codes. And you're doing this. You're not the Christ. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Well, we know you're not a Levite. You're not of this line. You're not a Pharisee. By whose authority is basically the question, are you doing these things? This is a very interesting section as it is still so clouded by many times our lack of understanding of the context, the implications, the fallout of what John was doing by taking people into water and immersing them. John, what are you doing we're here to question your authority to do these things. You're not authorized, you're not qualified, you're not a priest, you're not a levite, you're not part of any religious sect or order that guards the truth, holds the people's hearts, the accountability of the law. What are you doing? It's interesting that Luke adds a little bit and there's, the other gospel writers will do so as well to the message that John was preaching. In Luke chapter three and verse three, Luke writes and he came talking about John the Baptist and he came into all the district around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Oh man, we hear that and our minds immediately go to our day and age when we talk about this concept of forgiveness of sins. But you gotta remember where you are in time. Has the cross happened yet, Church? Has Jesus died yet? Has he been buried yet? Has he resurrected yet? And so his understanding of forgiveness of sins is still tied to an understanding of what is still previous to a cross experience. This is not, again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that we're talking about here. And So there is a confrontation here of things that existed and the means by which John is calling the people's attention to how they have a right standing with God even with the revelation that is theirs in the moment in time. So many times we get to believe that the whole point of the Old Testament is about works and orienting them to performance base and only about the morality, but really what we find is the Old Testament was that teacher about how inadequate we are in comparison to the holiness and the purity of God And that we're constantly under that reminding agent, the the law, that we are responsible for our conduct, responsible for our situation. And what does that lend itself? To behold the God that he is, to compare ourselves to him. And that's really what John is doing here. Baptism was not a Christian creation. The pagans, as well as the Jews, used ritual baptisms for parts of their ceremonies. The word chosen here is not about the act of making something holy. It's more tied to the idea of a cleansing or identifying with what makes you clean. As well, John's baptism is different from our Christian baptism. John's baptism was closer to the idea of the laver in front of the holy place where the priest would ceremonially express their purity as they would enter into the dwelling place of God to serve. It was tied to a message of repentance, a message of acceptance of the forgiveness that only God could pour out. And the question that John is really asking the people that are coming to him, have you repented? Do you have a change of mind about why you do what you do, a change of mind about who you are in relationship to God? Do you understand that he is God? Let me tell you the testimony that there is one coming And so, John, why are you using the water in this way? What are you trying to say? Why are you out here in the wilderness of all places doing this and not in Jerusalem or joining some established religious order? John, what are you really trying to say? And what was John's answer? I am using water to get your attention where it needs to be. Because one, a very important one, A person whose very shoes I am not even worthy to untie is going to be baptizing those who believe on him with the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get introduced to the idea of the Holy Spirit for the first time, really. Not in the first time, it's been in the prologue, but really as it's expressed here. And God is going to allow us through John's writings to pick up again on this later on in specifically chapter 16. And then we get into the book of Acts and we get into other places. And for that, we're going to have to wait until we get into verses 35 and following and and look at some of the things that come. But notice again verse 26. I found this phrase very interesting in what John records for us here. And he says, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. In verse 11 that Jesus came to the ones that would not even receive him. And this is setting up our second point in this section. John as a witness of himself, but notice second of all in these verses 29 through 34 where John is a witness of his Savior. In verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world where John's testimony of himself only had a resemblance to other great individuals, and where John's testimony of himself was simply a way to prepare for this one, this section gets to the real message. John's message was a call to repent. You need to see the course that you're on. You need to understand the mindset that you have chosen. You need to have a change of mind, a change of heart. You need to turn But the problem with repentance is that it can lead to New Year's resolutions. You've heard of those, right? How many of you have had one in your lifetime? Let's see, you got a New Year's resolution. How many of you are still holding on to the one you started the year with? Some of you went like, oh, no, I didn't. See, repentance, without a true objective object to put your attention to, can just simply lead to a new year's resolution it can be take it or leave it but genuine repentance understands that there is something greater to be gained something greater to be achieved so john is confronting them with a message of repentance you're doing things wrong well who says uh, <clears throat> god who's that you know, what's interesting is that when you read the context in which John is doing his ministry, there's not just Jews that are here. In some of the places, you find that there are even soldiers. Now, some have tried to argue, okay, maybe those are palace, I mean, excuse me, uh, temple soldiers, and maybe there are some other, you know, maybe they're still part of the Judaic custom. But I believe that what really what we're finding here is that this is such a mixed lot. Gentiles and Jews. Isn't that interesting? that even from the beginning of this this introduction of Jesus is that it is for God so loved the world which is exactly what he said he came into the very world he created and even to those that were truly his own they wouldn't receive him turn away from sin And this was the message that John preached to the Gentiles and to the Jews alike. And that bothered the religious groups because they saw themselves as descendants of Abraham. And they didn't have any need of any rite, R-I-T-E, any ceremonial performance done on them or any introduction to such a message. They saw themselves as already pure, as holy, as children of God because of Abraham. Abraham. That's not right, John. You're preaching a message that speaks of, of a coming king and a kingdom authority, and we're in because we're descendants of Abraham. Wow, this is starting to get us a little bit clearer to understand when he's going to have a real major confrontation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. You're a ruler of the Jews, and you don't understand these things? What, what, are, we not, what, what are we missing? What do we? Get? That's the point. You didn't see him. But John's message was one that is calling his listeners to prepare their hearts to receive the coming Messiah. And with this coming, the Holy Spirit would come along as well. And out of the wilderness, something was calling, giving voice to prepare for something radical, something that has never come in this way before. I love that expression, out of the wilderness. You know how many times in scripture something comes out of the wilderness? When Jesus is tempted, he goes into the wilderness. When the Israelites were tempted, they went, were in the wilderness for 40 years. woo that was a long time. And here comes one out of the wilderness and he declares a voice. It is a call to behold the Lamb of God. Another testimony of a name that's given to us. And what is interesting is that this is really the only time we ever see this. There there is nothing that I could find. and, And there's some things that, you know, you could give maybe some connection to, but nothing real clear that somehow John makes this connection to the Messiah. And what we find in this declaration of this name, behold, the Lamb of God, this becomes a message about sacrifice. A lamb that is ready to be sacrificed for the sins of mankind. This is about the Lamb of God, and it speaks of sanctification. It means something dedicated for this purpose, something that is uniquely set apart for this entity, for this goal, for this reason. The Lamb of God. And it speaks of sonship. Because he goes then in verse 34, this is the Son of God. Because it was only God himself that could remediate the sin. It is only God himself that could forgive the sin. It is only God himself that could do anything for our sin. And he sent his very son to do that on our behalf. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The authority questions the religious leaders were asking are seen answered in the authority of Jesus and all these aspects are going to start coming out as the author of this book John begins to build out the life of Jesus and he doesn't build out the life of John the witness he builds out the life of Christ and thinking of John's baptizing D.A. Carson put it this way he said his baptism is designed to prepare the people for him referring to Christ What John, the, the witness, is doing is preparing the way so that people could quickly see when Jesus would come on the scene. What I found interesting is how many times John says, at least twice here in this section, about him not even knowing who he was. He talks about it in the sense that I wasn't even sure. I mean, this is John's cousin that he's talking about. And I'm sure he heard his mother talk about that time when you were in my tummy and you leaped when Mary came in. I don't think that that was a kept secret. But it was even for John, it was hard to understand. Later on, John will send disciples to Jesus and ask him, Are you the one? Do we look for somebody else? John, see the blind and see the lame. See those who are restored to life, go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. But right now in this part of the stage, John is saying, now come and see. What is our takeaway from this? If you miss Jesus, you've missed everything. All of the religious ceremony will be empty if you miss the person of Jesus Christ. You could be here this morning and you're doing your religious duty, but if you miss Jesus, you've missed everything. This is not just a Jewish problem. This is not just a Jewish opportunity. John was already showing that the message he came preaching was for the world. The same world that we have already seen that didn't know Jesus, the same people that were of God's own choosing that did not receive Jesus, the same people that were coming to inquire would also challenge Jesus as to his authority to even do miracles that he does. The beauty of the Gospel of John is that the author does not want you to ever question that you have come face to face with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this is more than just being able to quote John 3.16. This is an eternal life kind of relationship established by Jesus Christ, and in him we find deliverance. Because we have a hope now that even in our failure, God is still trustworthy. He is still faithful. For God still loves us. And in a sense you have heard Christ's voice and have you come face to face in your relationship with Jesus the Lamb of God who doesn't take away the sins of just the whole world but your sins. John was calling the people around him to come and see and today I am doing the same thing. Come and see Jesus. Don't miss him it's not about an experience it's a relationship with God and can you say that that is something that you possess this morning do you know him as your savior if you do think about what that has opened up and all the other ways that you can begin to trust him in all the other places of your life. If he can fix the eternal one, he can sure take care of the temporal, can he? Let's come and see Jesus. And let's make sure that we have a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and that's not something you have, there's never been a time in your life when you made a choice of decision in your heart to accept who Jesus is. Why don't you talk to somebody before you leave today? And if you've been here and you've been saved a long period of time, is this what you give testimony to wherever you go? I want you to see Jesus. He will change your world. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that as we Take to heart these things that have been shared from the Gospel of John, that, Lord, you allow us to draw all men to see you, draw people to see you, because you draw all those people in the same heartbeat to come and to taste of the water of life, to give them freedom from sin and condemnation, a freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts in who you are. And may we tell others about you. May we testify of the great things that Jesus has done in our life and how wonderful and how truly trustworthy our God is, that even at the point of our disobedience, your mercy does not stop. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Thank you for giving me hope. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal promise of life with you. Thank you again for being our Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Sing with us, Be Thou My Vision. us today remember there's uh, no activities tonight uh here at the church Uh, wanna bible studies none of that tonight and i look forward to seeing you again uh next week um we do have fellowship time uh, in the fellowship hall we would love to meet some of you maybe that are visiting with us this morning but you're welcome to go back there uh at this time thanks so much lord bless you